I, yeah, Muslim. I heard that. He was on the what's the Michael Rosenbaum inside of you with Michael Rosenbaum yep. or something like that. Yep. His podcast. Yeah, I listen to that podcast every <laughs> once in a while. Uh, yeah. Shout out Michael Rosenbaum. Uh, and uh, He's a fan of the show. Yeah, fan of the show. Yeah. Mm-hmm would be i'm sure sure. uh he and i would at least get along because he is a super super horror horror movie buff Ooh, and uh so we'd get along we'd watch like maybe return of the living dead or something like that together we'd dig that hello and welcome to geeks can't the home of rpg jargon and general tomfoolery my name is zach i'm uh little host a and i'm Joined as I'm always host, but uh, gosh, listen, I tra- this is. I think this is did you I just look at this John, John opening? I was going to say, I was like, John opening. I was like John John, maybe I should try to do something funky like John, Shout and uh, then it, it it lasted. Now you now you know why. <laughs> now I know. Yeah. When when you try, you fail. Yes, That's you, try, you just got to phone it tra- in every single time, man. Trying to say, little cat A, B, and C, mm-hmm. making a cat in the hat, Doctor Seuss joke, and it. It failed. Um, listen, I've got two hosts with me this evening. It's John Christian and Troy Sandlin. You probably Meow. already knew that. Yep. Meow. <laughs> What's up? What's up, y'all? <laughs> lolly meow. Yeah, bar- mm. yeah. Lolly lolly lolly. Get your adverbs here. <laughs> uh, Zach is the little spoon. That's right. Yeah, little yep. spoon. He yep. well. I... Never mind. I knew that was coming, man. I, I knew, like, I was, I was gonna say something too, and then I was like, um, "I will." Nope, nope. That's good. Subtext. Lips are sealed. <laughs> yep. <clears throat> well, hey, let's do this. Uh, we're gonna do a regular episode tonight. Which can we means, say can we your do that? prayers are answered? <laughs> there you go. That joke. Good. <laughs> uh, we're gonna try. I think we start with news, and I've got a little piece, and then, Troy, you said you had another one, so um, I'm going to pounce on mine real quick, and then I'm going to hand it off to you, because you you sounded excited about yours, whatever it is. Excited is probably a strong word for it, but yeah, go ahead. Okay. Uh, This is a week or two from being announced, so so if you've heard this already, I apologize, but... um, we're getting more cyberpunk red content, and I, for one, think that's cool. Um, they what? announced a couple of weeks ago, uh, and I'm reading the article here, that they will release this spring a new mission compilation called Tales of the Red, um, okay. which have several missions in Night City. Uh, then later in the summer, they're going to release a... Um, a book called Black Chrome, which is a source book that details the night markets of 2045. Uh, it offers players an illustrated resource for weapons, armor sets, vehicles, cyberware, fashion apps, linear frames, and other items. Um, and then there are two releases planned for Q4, uh, Danger Gal Dossier and Rogue's Street Weapons. Uh, the Danger Gal dossier offers biographical info and stat blocks on NPCs found in the cyberpunk red world. Rogue's Street Weapons is a deck of cards featuring 108 weapons, weapon attachments, and ammo types. Um, and they just recently released Interface Red Volume 1, a source book for cyberpunk red. 
I'm excited about this. Um, I think uh, I think Cyberpunk Red might be the game that I sneak back into in the latter half of this year. I I would say that uh, I would not mind at all revisiting that world. That mm. was a lot of fun, especially getting to watch John take a face full of flamethrower. That was. <laughs> That was it's pretty, always it's always a good time for everybody cool. else. For that's, everybody else, that's what I'm here for. <laughs> Allow me to fall face for first on the first incendiary device. That's right. That's, that's right. right. For for people. But no, I, that that was such a fun little one shot. Oh, I really did enjoy it. That was cool. Now, okay, hang on a oh. minute. I'm going to backtrack. Uh, Ulysses is asking, uh, how do I feel like Cyberpunk Red is going to match up with Blade Runner? I am committed to running a Blade Runner game as soon as that comes out. So we will find out, my friend. Um, and I think there's a there's. <sighs> Let me pitch something. You tell me, fellas. You played some Cyberpunk Red, so you know a little bit. I feel like Cyberpunk Red is very much more, uh, like action hero, like uh, yes, Cyberpunk energetic. Red. Cyberpunk Red is going to be the D&D of Cyberpunk, more action-oriented, and I think that Blade Runner is probably going to be geared more towards Mood. an investigative... It's, it's moody Noir. I mean, moody, that's... Moody Noir. It's the... Now, uh, the uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of like the chip on its shoulder, Cyberpunk. Yeah. I yeah. really hope... I really hope Blade Runner comes out with multiple feels to it. Mm. You know where you could be, you could be a Deckard, you know, chasing down uh, rogue replicants, or have rules, or at least a path that you could could uh, take that you could be a replicant, and maybe go on some of those <laughs> excursions that uh, Mister yeah. Batty spoke of at the end. Yeah. Well, I mean. The best, the best is, is is to have both worlds and to not know, yes. right? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. It's like I, I, want, I need a mechanic I, to where when I build my character, I don't know if I'm building a replicant or a human, and I have to play the game trying to figure out, like like guessing or second guessing myself and my oh, choices man. of that would be if, awesome. But if there's a whole series of stupid ass questions. <laughs> <laughs> be even better. It's like, oh, come on, seriously. That's that's the session we're doing. You, there, there's a turtle on the road. It's flipped on its back. What do you do? Uh, why? Yeah, I can see that happening. Mm. Yes, every yeah, third every, act third, every, every third session. That's all. That's all it is. It's just you're sitting there with the light shining in your eye. Yep, that would be fun. Uh, cool. Well, listen. Fun. Okay, so so. Cyberpunk Red, new supplements. That's what I'm bringing to the table tonight. Troy, what do you got? I'm in for. Uh, well, actually, it's not so. It, it's news, but I, you know, a lot of it. I don't think people really care about the news itself. I just kind of wanted to give people a glimpse, kind of behind okay. the scenes, of what we kind of deal with, but more so what Zach deals with. Uh oh. Mm. And I just wanted to, you know, uh, Mixam, which is a publisher out of Schaumburg, Illinois, has raised their has raised their prices. Not printer, not publisher, printer mm-hmm. for for books and things. And they've raised mm-hmm. their prices uh, on certain things. 
Yeah, not not uh, not just a little bit. Yeah, not not a cost of living adjustment. Yeah, no. And so that's going to affect some Kickstarters, and we you know we do a lot of stuff talking about Kickstarters and things like that. So I just kind of wanted to because we had a nice little discussion about it today. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was kind of interesting, and I just kind of thought maybe that uh, the viewers and the listeners might be interested to hear about that from the publishing side of things, mm. and you know, to understand what it is we're dealing with and what it is they're dealing with, and why their books are going to be late or maybe more expensive, or you know, things like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well. That's uh, yeah. I, I think that's you, you. You're bringing up a good topic, Troy. Um, I think our. I think uh, there's a chunk of our listening audience that that is interested in that sort of stuff. Um, so you probably remember last year when Drive Through RPG cranked up their prices, especially for their premium offerings. Right, premium soft covers and premium hardcover prints. Uh, increased an average of 30 to 40 percent in in price um, a lot of companies also followed suit around that time there's been a lot of paper shortages just a lot of supply chain issues in general obviously through covid and there's been a few printers uh, especially on the domestic side that uh, here in the states that have managed to not jank up prices right and by the way, I completely understand raising prices, right? Like mm. I'm not here to say, to decry that act, right? Um, Mixam is one of the ones that didn't. And Mixam is one that we use. And it's one that a lot of your zine publishers and, um, you know, soft cover book publishers are going to use because it is cheap and by and large reliable um, and quality by and large. Um, so it kind of, filled, uh, you know, checked a lot of boxes, so to speak. Um, I don't have any way of knowing this for sure, but I'm going to get just my general sense is that maybe a quarter to a third of all zines were, are being printed through Mixam for like through the Kickstarter marketplace and creators mm-hmm. doing that. And yeah, so we've seen um, it's anywhere from roughly about 30% increase to if you are um, desperate and you're ordering a hardcover through Mixam, um, there it's almost double price. Is what we've mm-hmm. seen in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's it it's going to be a heavy blow for people who are doing, especially for people who are doing small print runs, um, and whose projects are just wrapping on Kickstarter and they're having to buy right now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, yeah, we're in I was that boat. Say the, some the timeliness of this is a bummer. Yeah, like right, right in the throes of whenever people are trying to make the best of February and make Zemo work, and then their their bottom lines get hijacked to a degree. Right? I mean, there's yeah. there's gonna be a well, lot more to it. Zach and I were talking about that also. Right? You kind of have to build at least some padding in for yourself, and if you don't, then it's like. But but really, when you think about it. You know, everybody counting on Zine Quest in February is probably a lot of the reason why they're having to jack their prices because there's so many. Yeah, so many things. orders. So many Mixing is so backed through. up yeah. right now. Yeah. They're getting flooded with these things. Yeah. One thing I will, uh, I'll, I'll kind of maybe 
I don't know how much more we should we we can or should talk about this, and I I feel slightly enough ignorant that I don't that I don't want to say too much. But one thing I will say as a recommendation to our listeners, um, um, I would encourage you to do the math, um, and I think what you will find is that you're probably spending on average about. 20 to 30% more on a drive through RPG print on demand offering than on just buying the book directly from the creator. And so if you're, if you're someone like, <laughs> unlike Zach, uh, if you're someone who actually has a budget that they keep to for Kickstarters, what you'll find is that you can get a lot more bang for your buck by backing only creators that are, publishing their book directly as opposed to doing print on demand it may mm-hmm. seem cheaper initially you know when you see that 10 or 15 dollar price tag for a decent sized book and on kickstarter and you're like oh i'll just grab that and then later print on demand you're gonna pay more you're gonna pay more there's a premium cost that comes with drive-through printing one book from each thing at a time um and that premium cost is being passed along to you um so the only thing i can the only thing I can say is kind of keep an eye on that. And that doesn't really help our EU people and, and some of our international folks who need that international print on demand option. But if you're local in the U S um, you can sometimes navigate those waters a little bit um, uh, where possible. Anyhow. Yeah. So that's a, that's a thing that we're dealing with, but you know what, we'll get through it and uh, it'll be all right. So, uh, let's talk about, you know, the powers that be. Let's mm, move over to our main topic be. tonight. Um, I'm really excited about this one. I don't know. I don't, I don't know what you two yahoos feel like, but uh, uh, I'm intrigued. I'm intrigued. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Just I'm to, curious to see where you guys come from. Yeah, yeah. So this week, uh, we're going to be talking about making the gods or your gods, your patrons, those higher level beings meaningful in your campaign. Now, John, let's see, he proposed beforehand that we should talk about this and kind of get our ducks in a row before we went live. And I said, nay, nay. Yeah, that got slapped down hard. Nay, sir. No, um, let the chaos ensue. On right. The the floor. Absolutely. Um, my, my patron is chaos. <laughs> and mine is order. I think oh. we stumbled across something that I think the discussion will be really good on. And I didn't want to kill any of that discussion pre-show. Right? Yeah. Uh, so we'll see if I, if I did the right thing or not. Um, but... John, you proposed this, if I recall correctly, uh, initially. Yep. So, what 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 was the impetus, or what was the the, the 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 starting point for this idea? I think it's the the general malaise that comes with in some in some instances between the DM and even the, and the player, both both ways. So, whenever you have a cleric that uh, for your player character, and like what real motivation does your character have outside of like calling down pillars of fire and casting bless every once in a while? What, what kind of like a, how does the, the relationship between the character and their patron or their God really have in 
their interactions in their their motivations, the goals that they have, uh, the behaviors that they have whenever they're at the table. That's more like the player character. And then for the the DM in both in world building and in, in regards to how it's threaded throughout the narrative, you've got, uh, in the mythology of D and D and a lot of these other, these other, um, fantasy role-playing games where you have pantheons of divine beings that are at play various levels of um, influence and interaction with mortals. Then it also, it, a lot of times it feels like the, the big bads are really the only ones that are doing anything. And it's usually the cults that are responsible for it. And they're all crazy, right? Well, just be and, Colton. Right. Cult, well, all the time, right. Cultists be crazy. Uh, but they, and that, I think what that's where it comes from is I, it, I've seen a, in the time that I've been at the table on both sides of the, the dungeon master screen, like I've asked, I've had to ask myself and the other players, like, what does it really matter outside of just like, where do your powers come from? And almost, it's like, I hate to use the, the parallel, but like fourth edition, right. Are they arcane mm. powers, primal powers? Are they divine powers? Are they martial powers? Like, where, what is your power source? Like, that's really about all the, ma- how it really matters, right? Whereas in, you parallel that to more real, real world um, parallels to religion, faith, um, philosophy, and things like that, even in our world versus in a fantasy world, for Pete's sake, where... Um, how do religions or churches or institutions affect the politics in a narrative and in a story? How are people driven by mm. their faith, the things that they believe in the um, uh, how, cl- how tightly do they stick to it? And again, we're talking about like a really in your face approach to um, to interacting with your adherents and your, and the faithful, Right. Like, how, like, is there really such a thing as an atheist character in D and D, or just a, a, a character that hates the idea of gods and doesn't want anything to do with them? Right. So I think I think that those there are some really really interesting interesting and nuanced stories and kind of motivations and things like that that I don't really see at the table very often. And so that's kind of what the motivator for me was is to get your take on your games and the characters that you've played in and how have you made patrons like warlock patrons and things like that or or the gods uh or even like uh for druids and rangers those primal powers that what how does that inform how you play those characters and how does that inform the way that you run use gods and divine powers in your campaigns and i'll I'll, i'd like to i'll open the floor to the two of you before i kind of delve into my own philosophies on that but that's essentially where it came from well, I would like to address the the atheist in the room, mm-hmm. or not? I don't know. Um, I don't. I I don't think you can have an atheist as we know it mm-hmm. in our world, in these game worlds, because these these greater beings that are granting powers are proven to exist in in most settings. Right? Mm-hmm. They've walked the they've walked the ground or. or They've come in visions over city. You know, they've made their presence known. But I think you could be someone that does not believe they are gods. Mm. That they are just even more powerful 
beings. You know, it's like yeah, Elminster is insanely powerful, but you know, Mistra is an even more powerful magical being, maybe or something to that effect. Um, Ulysses just—I just see him uh, drop a comment. Eberron, Eberron to me is perfect in this regard because the gods, for the most part, try to stay out of the affairs of mortals if they are, in fact, even gods. And that's where you can have an, an atheistic viewpoint where... Because, and they, they purposely leave that nebulous mm-hmm. to, to have that whole thing. I mean, there's there's greater powers going on and doing things, but are they are they the you know creatures from from Kyber that are that are exerting their influence are they actual deities from from beyond or are they just insanely powerful dragons pulling strings what are they what's giving you fl- your 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 powers and things like that so mm. i think i think being an atheist is a is an interesting concept but i also find it very hard to believe that anybody could play an atheist, a true atheist character in a D and D setting when there's, there's actual proof. Well, in the setting, listen, you know, I've, I've definitely seen, I have a, a good friend of mine read a atheist character in forgotten realms for, for a long line of AL modules. Um, but, uh, uh, it, it's willful, willful ignorance. That's that's how you mm, play an atheist. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, and, and yeah, it's it's definitely that. I think you can. I think you can do it in Dragonlance, right? You've got three hundred years. Well, you can. Yeah, you definitely between can. the the between the cataclysm. Well, between the cataclysm and the return of the gods, there is no divine influence. The whole right, you know, party like. The, all of the the miracles and the the intervention of the gods is is not something that's that's present, and so uh, over time things would fall into myth and into legend, and then then disbelief comes and and the the faith is becomes dead because people forget, right? So that's but to your point though, whenever the gods return in in Dragonlance, then they become really meddlesome. And they're in mm. everything. Like there, there is probably more divine meddling that happens in Dragonlance than pretty much in any other setting I can think of, outside of maybe Forgotten Realms during the Time of Troubles. Yeah, Time of Troubles. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Well, I was just thinking about like, so how do I, how do I present? How have I presented it in my own games? Right. Like that's mm-hmm. that's that's where my mind wanders back. I'm going to be the first to admit, like, there's there's certainly campaigns where I have really good intentions about, like, hey, we're going to play in Forgotten Realms, and your deity is going to be really important, mm-hmm. right? Um, and sometimes I think I've paid that off to some extent, and sometimes it gets dropped almost instantly. And I'll I'll I'll, I'll, I'll maybe pose a, a, a hypothesis as to why. Sometimes it doesn't matter, right? For the type of game that you're playing. Yeah. If you're doing dungeon crawls or, uh, uh, you know, little out of the way adventures and things like that, how much does it really matter that you have a cleric that is to uh, light in your party, right? The cleric of light. Probably not that much, right? Like they have powers. The dungeon doesn't 
counteract those powers or anything crazy. They aren't doing anything averse that their patron cares about. It's just a class in a dungeon, right? And and in those cases, I think um, uh, I find that it it slips into the background and then fades away completely, right? And mm-hmm. you might go several adventures, you might go a whole campaign and be like, well, the cleric's deity never really beat was a big deal but i'm not always sure that that's a problem Mm -hmm. but um there are other campaigns and and i'm trying to think of like where's an example or or what's the point where it's different and i think the thing that i can point to most readily is that i really feel strongly especially in forgotten realms especially in DD that deities should become meaningful and patrons should become Mm -hmm. meaningful at the time of player death Mm-hmm. Um, this is this is where I think uh, uh, rubber meets the road and where it is an unavoidable important moment and uh, if I have a track record that I could feel good about it's at least here where I can recall uh, call up numerous occasions where players characters have died and it's that opportunity to you know when the world fades to black and then it the lights come back on and we're in a different space and it's just you and this being and maybe it's an avatar or whatever and you have this conversation and that conversation can take many paths but one of those paths might be that you're sent back right um you know a paladin that is 12th level and a badass that dies you know, to some demon spawn, <laughs> if they go and meet their patron, their their deity, or an avatar, an angel, or whatever, like there's a pretty good chance, I would argue, that that pa- that that angel is going to be like, you know what, you get a choice here. You know, you've done enough. We'll invest some more into you. We'll give you some of our power. Let's pour you back. Let's let's fill up that vessel again. And, and let's give you a second opportunity here to finish what you started. Or, you know, maybe there's there's things left undone. Maybe there's vengeance left. Um, maybe there is a task that they were placed uh, on by their deity that is left unfinished. Maybe there's a bargain to be struck here and now, right? Um, uh, sometimes it could be with a good thing, but maybe your bard dies, and this is an opportunity for uh, rejoicing Mephistopheles to, <laughs> to 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 slide on, you know, slide into the seat across the table and say, "Hey, let's have a chat about options." Yes. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in five years? Yeah, they, um, they pulls out the pamphlet. Let, yeah. let, let me just go option A, option B. Yeah, yeah, a pamphlet and a pen. Um, yeah. yeah, he's already got the pen out. Um, uh, I love that. Like that's, that's a part that really excites me, especially because I know that as a DM, this is my opportunity. And if I don't take that opportunity, the players are just going to resurrect the character anyways. Right. Right. Like there's like D and D is really not about player death by and large. Um, and really it, 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 you're supposed to be heroes and you're supposed to win the day. Like that's the pitch of D and D as it stands right now. So, let's have a cool moment where, where your deity or your patron becomes a meaningful aspect uh, instead of just another casting of a spell. 
Um, and we'll see. Now. And I, I'm with you. I understand. I think for me, though, it, it is more meaningful before you're at death's door or you're it's you're in the bargaining phase of, of your your next your next line of existence right for me it's about what kind of a relationship that you have with the the gods or a god like you look at the romans and they worshiped everything not just one singular deity right. in the pantheon that they were devoted to you had uh observance adherence and devotees Right. An observant was like the guy that would have a chain around his neck and have every kind of holy symbol you could think of. And he was like, whenever he's on the road, he prays to the God of, of merchants. And whenever he's uh, he's raising his crops, he's pr- he's praying to the God of, uh, you know, for for a fruitful harvest and things like that. And then your adherent is one that is kind of like starting to narrow folk focus. And then once you get to the vote devotee is whenever you now have a relationship specifically to a God and you've devoted yourself to the service of that God and everything that God stands for. So for clerics and Druids and paladins in particular, I think, I think that it's 80% of it is going to really weigh on the shoulders of the players, honestly, because it's like their motivations mm-hmm. it stands to reason that they should be informed by the relationship they have with their God. Is it, it doesn't have to even be like a, a warm, fuzzy relationship. It could be, uh, you know, you've you've pretty much cornered me in here, and I've got no other option but to do what you're telling me to do, right? So you may be pissed about it. That's fine. That's I mean, that's a, that's a, still a motivator, though. Maybe the motivation is that you're trying to uh, John Constantine, or you're trying to to uh, buy your way back into heaven by saving as many souls as you possibly can, kind of thing, right? So, mm. but e- even still, there's a relationship between you and your God. And that that I think that's compelling to me as a DM to see unfold and to blossom from the character's side, and to uh, to like make sure that there's good fertile ground for it to grow from as a DM. And try any time that they try to they they want to delve into that is to give them an opportunity to do it and li- just and water it and and you know let it, and, and let it grow as much as possible. So the motivators, the motivations and the relationship is where it starts out for me. Um, Go ahead. Yeah. But a lot of, like you said, a lot of that lies on the shoulders of the, of the player Mm -hmm. themselves. And, you know, Ulysses also brings up another good point that is, it is a solid function of role play. And I've seen more clerics that I have no idea who they're, deity is sure no no, i'm with you then i have seen people actually play you know i am i am a cleric of helm and i and i uphold his his uh, tenets and things like that it's just it's more like it's a path to my power Mm -hmm. and the rest is just whatever and that is to me is part of the problem with you know some of these classes and we talked about the warlock you know several uh, episodes ago and how I have decided that I will not allow anybody to play a warlock straight out of the gate now because there's too much mm-hmm. lost. Get, it's, like, yeah. it's like, Oh yeah, you're okay. So you're, who's your patron? Oh, he, he, you know, it's packed to the old one or, you know, packed to the, yeah. the fiend or, you know, okay, okay. But who is it? I don't know. Yeah. So it's just a means to get power. 
Yeah. Or it's, know, a so it's, com like, it's a complex thing that doesn't have any true bearing on level one character. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. And I feel like, and I think I told this story before, um, as far as deities and patrons go, I think I've had one really good success and mm-hmm. in, in one dismal failure mm-hmm. in running campaigns. You know, I had a, I had a player that was, playing a cleric of, of helm and he, he would bring it up very frequently and try to commune with his God and, and, and things like that. And I felt like he, he was, he was role-playing it well, him trying to be, have a connection, but his actions in game, he was kind of, to me, straying from, the path mm-hmm. a little bit. And so I went old school and stripped him of his powers, mm-hmm. which that doesn't happen in five E, you know, there's yeah. not a rule for that anymore. Mm-hmm. And well, yeah, right. There's not a written rule for it. No, there's yeah. no written rule for it. But I thought, you know, this is, this is kind of an interesting thing. So I, I did, I, I, and he had to do a whole redemption arc and, and all of this stuff. Now my failure came from a, a warlock. You know, a, a player playing a warlock, and he put thought into it. You know, here's my here's the the demon that uh, is my patron, and and had all of this information about him, and and all this stuff. Did a whole like mm-hmm. as he would level up, would describe the transformation, but he did it all, mm-hmm. and I had no connection to it, with it, had no input in the in the building of it. So it was never in my mind mm-hmm. and things would happen and mm-hmm. it would totally have made sense for, for me to uh, invoke the name of that patron at that moment and say, you know, this being comes down and does this thing or, or whatever, or here's a magic item that, yes, I put this in there for you. Cause I like to try to, put items in for specific characters but never flavored it to come from the patron Mm -hmm. and then there would be comments it was like oh well i really expected there's you know to be like a connection and it was kind of like oh geez Mm -hmm. because like i said i had no i had no say in it i had no part in it so it never stuck in my head Mm -hmm. and so you have you know i had two players both of them playing to their patrons and I succeeded in the one instance and I failed in the other. And I think, and I think part of it is just my disconnection with the the warlock class in general, because there was no, well, what was your bargain? Why'd you make it? You know, that kind of a thing. You know what? One thing that I do that seemed to really work and I, I don't do it with every campaign, although I probably should. Um, I, I have a statement that I'll make and I'll say praying to your deity is not a mechanic, but I'm not saying it won't have a mechanical effect. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of hand that to the player. Right. Um, because I, I, I saw too many times before that, before I started saying it, where players would say, well, I wish that I could like pray and like get a benefit or like, you know, maybe I say a prayer to my deity and then I swing my sword, right? Like what they're saying is, 
I feel like this is a character moment where I am in need or I have a question or I, whatever, and I'm going to call out or I wish that I could call out and there was a chance that something would happen. And I know there's a spell or a effect that Divine you can do. A tenth level. Divine intervention, yeah. But, yeah. But, but I think that it's almost a mistake to have it, that ability there because – Yes. Really, uh, and and I'll tell you what I do. So this is this is the culmination, right? Um, if they choose to make a prayer, to me, almost always. Now there's a few times where I'll do a different check, and I'll t- talk about that in a second. But almost always, I have them make the prayer and then make a religion skill check. Um, the 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 few times that I'll I've di- diverted from that is to do a persuasion check if the character in general is less of a religious knowledge and more of a religious by intuition yeah but um i'll say oh you you know you prayed out to the god and 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 you're you're lost in the woods or whatever roll me a religion check oh you rolled an 18 i can work with that right Mm -hmm. um and what that does right is it encourages that we talked you troy you and i were talking about this earlier today right but like the mechanics that we put into play as a creator as a game master but mechanics that we put into play guide our players into what they should be doing with their character and the reason yes. that D we were talking about the reason that DD is so combat heavy is because that's where the mechanics lie and when a player looks at their character sheet almost everything that they see has to do with fighting stuff Mm-hmm. We had a more complex conversation than that. But so now all I'm doing is I'm putting an extra thing on their quote unquote character sheet that says, pray, roll a religion test, maybe get a benefit. Yep. Mm-hmm. And now this is something that they look to and they play that up. More. It's really fun. Um, um, and and I, 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 that doesn't really help on the patron side of things as easy because typically you've already made a bargain with your patron. Um, but it definitely works for gods that you have this more, you know, almighty connection to. Yeah, but patrons could be like an ongoing grudging negotiation that happens between the two of you too, right? It's like there was the initial tit for tat, but now there's like maybe it's they're tacking on more time and service you know, a required a requ- requirement of, of time and service in order to give you that e- that extra bit bit of edge. I've already given you something. Why are you asking me for more? Oh, you want more? Well, that's going to cost you, right? Kind yeah, of thing. Right. And that's and that, that's what I'm getting at. I know I, I'm beating the drum on it, but that's where I'm getting at with the with the relationship. That's where it's important to me because your relationship with the with with your with your patron or your deity motivates the way that you the way that you behave. And now, mm-hmm. to your point, Zach, the way that you if you want to motivate your players towards a certain uh, play style or, you know, it's kind of like it's carrot of the stick, right? But you're doing it mechanically by offering them mm-hmm. you know, like little uh, rewards for, for doing certain things. Right. But for me, again, it's 80% is going to end up being on the player. We've already said that, that it's like um, my, my, my job is to give them as much space as possible. So one of the, like, in the beginning, what I typically do with players is I'll ask them if they're a cleric or if they're a divine spellcaster. Um, why? Why did your why why is first of all why are you an adherent of a religion and and then why this specific faction sect god or whatever right? The why is really important because 
it will it will speak towards the behavior of the it should speak towards the behavior of the character if they're being if they're being true to it right you play the beer and pretzels games which i think this what it's going to go whichever direction it's going to end up going in they're not yeah. they're not really worried about motivations or anything like that but if you really want to be able to give like i said fertile ground to the player to be able to really create something out of it those those are the questions that are really important because they're going to they're going to inform the decisions that they make and in, you, the, in the adventures and in the game. You brought up a, a key thing to this conversation, which is uh, asking that why at the beginning. Really, uh, uh, we could rephrase that into saying that having a conversation about how God's deities, patrons work um, mm-hmm. in your game mm-hmm. is a session zero discussion. Because, yeah, um, because, like Troy was saying earlier, there's no rule actually the designer statements currently for 5e is that there is nothing that you can do as a player to get yourself stripped of your class abilities. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Even if you, you know, abandon your patron warlock patron, you still retain all the abilities of that patron. Right. And so if you're going to change that, that's 100% a session zero discussion because your players will assume by and large, um, that the class that they picked is the class that they're going to get to play. Mm-hmm. And saying, hey, by the way, in my game, if you pick a cleric of life, you best believe I'm going to be, your God's going to be keeping an eye on that. And if you're a, if you're a murder hobo or if you, if mm-hmm. you, if you keep the murder hobos in your party alive and kicking to the detriment of everyone around you, there's going to be hell to pay. Um, and it's, it, it may come quite literally, right? Um, that that and I have had that conversation where it deter where a player then determined that they were going to pick a different class, right? Mm-hmm. That's why it's important it because important. Um, some people don't want that element of role play right they don't have to want to have to be worrying about did i align with they just wanted to pick a cleric because they thought divine smite and spells with an armored character sounded cool right they don't want to have to think about the role play, and that's completely fine right i don't care yeah, if, that's I, if that's kind of if that's kind of game you want to run and that's kind of game you want to play cool right but it, it, it we we saved ourselves a lot of frustration down the road by having that conversation in in the right. few, first few minutes and you know what i i then get to pick how heavy I lean into that, right? Mm-hmm. But you, if you don't have that conversation, then you don't get to pick, or it's much harder to have that conversation later. If you have that conversation up front, then I can kind of decide if like, hey, I'm only going to do something if this life cleric straight up murders someone, right? Um, or I can decide to pull it up out of the blue. And once I feel like this invisible metric of life to death has been crossed, right? I can... Mm-hmm. I can bring it up and say, oh, I feel like now's the time that your God would step in and have a conversation. <clears throat> I've, it's kind of interesting. Before, before we started recording tonight, we were talking about The Legend of Vox Machina, the new yes. uh, animated yeah. series. And anybody that's, that's you know, listened to the, 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 the podcast or watched the YouTube stuff, um, you already know that it, it, early on in, in uh, campaign one, one of the characters kind of falls into disfavor with their deity and there is repercussions and i i appreciate that they put that in the show 
Um, because yeah, in the rule, in the rules, it says you, you can't lose your powers, but you know what? At my table, yeah, you can. Yeah. Because, and I, I, I don't, I didn't do it to punish the player. I actually did it to give him a focus. I wanted, he was the one that was playing so true to being a cleric and being, you know, I pray to helm, I give thanks. And then I Mm -hmm. went and did this, or I went and I ignored this sign or, you know, Mm -hmm. but yet you're still telling me that you're devoted to this deity and I had determined earlier on, and he kind of talked about, you know, I kind of want to be not necessarily a chosen of Helm, but I kind of wanted to be a, you know, a favored nephew, maybe kind of a thing. <laughs> and there were some actions that he took that kind of, you know, Uncle Helm got a little mad, so he had to put the smack down. And I wanted to give him that redemption. And I think at first... At first, I think he was upset with it and then realized what I was doing. And then he struggled with trying to figure out how to atone. Yeah. To the point where, and I think it was like, you know, the first session, stripped of powers. Next session, oh man, this really sucks. Third session, oh, now what the hell should I do? He was actually considering converting to a different deity mm-hmm. and i'm like are you are you serious and he's like well i'm not getting my powers back i was like it's been two whole sessions what do you expect i'm not just <laughs> but isn't that like a total conan maneuver common if you will not tell me that the hell with you but like that's kind of like isn't that no that is, is not that essentially conan, what he was trying to do that is not a conan maneuver because that is crom Crom is that cold-hearted prick bastard up on the realize it. Yeah, and and that's what Crom wants. He wants you to be pissed at him and say, you know what, screw you. If you're not going to come down here and help me, I'm just going to do it my own damn self. And that was, you know, the the secret of steel kind of thing. And that, so yeah, not Crom, but yeah, the fact that he was just going to pivot. It's like, well, but you're gonna, you're not going to do the. the that's the, what I was going to say. Is kind of good about the critical role Vox Machina shows way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it would probably be more frustrating in game. And I didn't watch their live show in that respect, but like in the show, she loses her powers and immediately knows what she needs to do. At yep. least in part, right? She's like, I need to go to a temple and I need to atone in a meaningful, devoted way. Right. Yes. And, and this is a responsibility that I have. It's not a quick pit stop. It's, I need to be intentional about this. Mm -hmm. I think that that is a great statement, right? Um, Because I think that sometimes, I know at least for myself, I'll speak for myself. Sometimes we strip things or 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 we give consequence, but we forget that the player probably knows or the character probably knows. Yeah. What, what atonement should look like. Right, the character, they probably the character aren't knows the, more than your player does. Yeah, and so, like, if you're a cleric of a god, you probably have heard stories or or been told, like, you know, wayward people they repent in this way or they their penance is is this for this sin or whatever. Right, like, there's an answer, and they probably know it. 
and they should just go do that, right? And and maybe the answer is something very difficult. You know, maybe the answer is not as simple as going to a temple and, and offering, you know, coin or or sorrow. Maybe the answer is, you know, uh, uh, spending spending time on the open sea if you're mm-hmm. if you're tied to a deity, or maybe it's slaying somebody important, or maybe it's, um, you know. Uh, raising a temple or something to your God. Like maybe there's some big thing that you have to do, but you should know what it is. And I think that most of the frustration from a player comes from that feeling of helplessness and not knowing. Um, And then also sometimes I think we as DMs choose the wrong time to add consequence. Right. Yeah. Could be. I'm not saying that that's the case for you in your situation, but I think that, um, like, let's be fair and say that <clears throat> in the middle of a dungeon where you can't do your penance for another, you're, you're in the middle of Dungeon of the Mad Mage and you got yeah. three more years of being down here before you uh, can go back to your temple. Um, probably, probably not the not time good, to strip yeah. powers. Um, not to, Because at the end of the day, again, we're telling stories about heroes mm-hmm. and the heroes need to have that answer the way to get in ch- get right with who they need to get right with um, within a reasonable amount of time so they can go back to being heroes. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it wasn't like a long time. It, it was a few sessions in the, yeah. and we had a conversation after and he kind of like, well, should I do this? And should I do that? And I never really came out and said yes or no. It was just like, I don't know. Should you, what are, what are the tenets of your faith? Well, they're, you know, protection, you're watching, okay. Okay, so should you do those things? Oh, I don't know. That's why I'm asking. It's like, your God is not talking to you right now. I am not going to come out and give you a yes or no answer. Should you do those things? And so he did. And he, and he, he was like, you know what? Screw it. I screwed up. I messed up. I am going to basically be a very underpowered eight, a D8 hit die fighter for a while and he would he would throw himself into battle he would try to protect you know those that needed protecting and you know sacrificing of himself and all this kind of stuff and it was kind of like okay he's kind of getting it he 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 understands that you know what he wasn't doing is being that protective arm and he's starting. So I started giving him levels of spell abilities back, hmm. and and he started, and then it kind of culminated. There was a big fight, and he had actually leveled up, um, but had not yet gotten to use his big spell from leveling up. And so at, at the big fight, something happened, and pop, he he got it. Receives all of his powers back, and it's like. Oh, it's almost like the whole, you know, the, the, the matrix. Oh, I know Kung Fu. And, you know, there it was. So it worked out really, really, really well. Um, I just wish I could have done the same for the, the guy playing the warlock. Um, it was a different campaign, but yeah, I feel, I feel bad mm-hmm. that we didn't focus more on that. Um, so for me, uh, the, the stuff in, um, what, what was the, uh, it was Tasha's. About oh you know, pat- yeah, about pat- patrons. I'm on the same wavelength. 
you know, the even those patrons are earthly patrons for the most part. Um, you can still use that that rule set, those those guidelines for active deities, for warlock patrons and things like that to give it more tangibility and more interactiveness kind of a thing. There's some great stuff in there. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly what I would choose, but it's really close. It's close. Um, as far as like, w- there's some cool stuff like the idea of like divine service where you can call upon a church to help, you know, with um, some spell casting or whatnot. I think that's fun. Um, but the things that I think are really great there as ideas to help spark making that pay- that deity or that church or that patron more um, important or meaningful in your campaign is when it comes to contacts. What a great mm-hmm. idea. What a great idea that, that it's not just you wandering around devoted to Asmodeus, <laughs> but, but there's other people and you can interact with those people and they can be both mouthpieces or assistants or messengers or, you know, uh, rivals. Uh, Rivals, absolutely! What a great presentation. I I love that idea, um, and it's it's a tangible way in which your party and you can see the influence of your higher being without seeing the the you know the ethereal hand of that being you know coming out of the sky or from the depths of the earth. And the other thing that I love about it is, and this is a bit more meta but I think it works for some people is the, the, the specific quests tied to a patron. Mm-hmm. Um, I've played in campaigns. I've ran campaigns that are very like, you get to pick what we do next sort of a thing. And if you like your crew, that's like, if you're a crew that likes that, where it's not just a linear story, we're not playing through tyranny of dragons. We're, we're selecting adventures from, proposed lists and we're looking at message boards and we're we're you know searching through our contact list for uh, options here are exclusive quests that you get you know because your your god is telling you that there's a there's there's a wrong that needs righted you know to the south in a in a in a forest or whatever right Mm -hmm. like awesome awesome you're going to feel cool that whole time. You're going to feel like your God is keeping an eye on you that whole time. And you're probably going to get an item or an artifact or something at the end of that adventure. that's going to remind you of your, your service to your deity being meaningful at the end of it. Mm-hmm. It's just a win. So, uh, something that you talked about, you know, with your, you want to do something, you want to pray or, you, you know, whatever it might be, make it, make a religion check kind of a thing. Um, while we were talking about this, I kind of had an idea of, you know, something a little bit more obfuscated from the players. And just while you're set, while, while the game is being played session after session, if you have a, a character or a player in your game, this uh, playing a cleric or a, pay, uh, a warlock or something that has a, a powerful entity, that it, that it owes fealty to. Um, as it's going, as, as you're going through adventures, if they're doing stuff to that, you feel like, Oh, they are, they're spot on. They're towing the, the company line. They're doing what they're, they're the upper management's telling them to do. Make little notes 
and then when they have the you know like almost like uh faith points or patron points mm-hmm. and you could you could almost use those you know it's like well you know they've done 10 things that gave them patron points and they go to do something mm-hmm. and they make they make their role well they don't quite do it well they're five off what they needed they can spend five patron points and you can do that for them kind mm-hmm. of like yeah they uh, they did that hand and things yeah and, and and but describe it as you feel the will of your your deity or your patron come through you and even though you missed you you feel it miss you 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 see that spell kind of arc back and and hit whatever you're trying to do or the, the sword swing or the mm-hmm. whatever whatever it is you might do just a way to do that behind the scenes so it's almost like it's it's more realistic cuz they don't know that it's coming mm-hmm. so you know mm-hmm. kind of maybe keep maybe keep patron and faith points behind your screen mm. if you use a screen another thing that i'm thinking about um is stuff that you that we've had since the beginning um and I think that one thing that we've struck on here in this last few minutes is the idea that like sometimes it's not a negative that makes a the negative influence for a deity. Sometimes it's a positive reinforcement, mm-hmm. right? And if we're talking about positive reinforcements, then we should be talking about supernatural gifts from uh, the Dungeon Master's Guide, uh, the idea of blessings and charms. Sometimes yeah. saying, when you play to your character, this is what you get, which is extra cool stuff. The, mm-hmm. the abilities on your character sheet are just the beginning, and I can give you cool things that are above and beyond what's in your class when you play to the adherence to your faith or whatever. Um, I think that's that's really fun um, and absolutely and and it's blessings and charms, but also like um, uh, 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 sometimes that's ethereal; it just becomes a part of you. But sometimes that charm comes in the the shape of an item or whatnot, mm-hmm. right? Or or an improvement to an existing item, right? I I am of the belief, I don't know if this is true. John, maybe you can wait you can tell me if you think this is you're 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 a Tolkien nut like I am. Um I'm of the belief that Sting became a, a like a like a an artifact when it was when great deeds were done with it. In Mirkwood with Bilbo defeating spiders, that's when Sting became an artifact. Before that, it was a letter opener. Hmm. A glowy letter opener. A glowy letter opener. Um, I don't know if that's canon or not, but in my mind, that's how it's always worked. I don't think it was ever a glowy letter opener. No, I don't think that's canon. Oh, okay. Well, fair enough. <laughs> well, <I don't> anyways. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just like that idea, and and... So I'd love to see that in a game too. Where well, that's that's an interesting way to think of magic items in the first place. Is you know, is that where they get their power? Because I'm sorry, I do not buy all these wizards hanging around uh, weaponsmiths and forges, just crapping out plus one swords by the by the truckloads to have them, you know seeded all over Faerun for you to find. It's like, how do these weapons become magical? 
I think I think you're onto something. I think it's because of the deeds that were done, the spirit of the warrior that that wielded them. You know, it, it, it imbues, and that's why you know I think that's kind of something that D and D lacks in this edition, in past several editions, really. Uh, you you don't have that. You know, I have a magic mm-hmm. sword. Well, what's its name? You know, Tolkien. Mm-hmm. You've got Narsil. You've got Sting. You've got you know Glamdring and Orcrist and all these other. They had names. They had weight. They had history. And mm-hmm. regardless of whether or not that sword or that weapon actually had any pluses to it, when you mm-hmm. drew that sword and somebody saw it, it was like, holy crap. That's, you know, ear cutter. I've heard stories about that. How did th- this person is wielding that sword? Oh crap! That's mm. that, there's something to it. There's something. There's something to it. I think that's a cool idea that you that, to do it that way. Yeah. Well, we're gonna have to talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about, uh, for, yeah. for, for at, at another a different point. topic. Um, I, I do want to say one th- one more thing about warlocks and patrons. And I and I heard this, um, I don't know where I heard it, but there's an idea that, and the, and the, again, this is why I don't like warlocks starting off at level mm-hmm. you know level one because they're talking about how you know the the patron gave the warlock power for a reason, yep, just because they asked is not the reason the, the, the patron needed something mm-hmm. now if, if that warlock then goes out and, and succeeds and completes the task that the, the, the patron needed done that patron doesn't necessarily revoke the power it doesn't need to it's more like oh because I mean, they're they're thinking mm-hmm. on a on a grander scheme than what we ever could. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like, oh, they 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 did my thing. I don't have to kill them now. I'm on to focus on other things. They never revoke that power. Hmm. So that that is kind of one way, you know. If if you're kind of a, if you're like me, you like to have your head cannon all line up. Mm-hmm. Why does your warlock have power, but they never do anything with the patron? they've already done what they needed to do, but that doesn't mean that that patron can't say, Oh, uh, yes, Bill, I need you to do something new for me. I've let you use my power. These low, these many levels. It's time for you to, you know, feed the meter, so to speak. So, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. so if you're, if you're running a campaign and you haven't had patron interaction in a while, don't feel bad because these these entities are on such a a different level. <laughs> you know, they their whims are fickle. Hmm. Just like gods, you know, which is why Eberron works the way it works. There you go. <laughs> All right. So I think maybe we've hit our quota for tonight on on this chat about patrons. Um. Here's what I'd like. I'd like for us to continue this chat because I think that there are, we've brought up some ideas, but I think that there's, there's plenty of other ways that you can do 
uh, to make patrons or deities meaningful in your campaign. So let's continue this conversation over in Discord. Um, you can shoot us a message on Facebook um, uh, or, or, or on Twitter to John, and uh, we will get you hooked up with a, with a private invite link to the Discord server. While you're there, give us a follow or a like on those pages. Um, we'd also appreciate your follow or your subscribe or whatever you want to do here on the Twitch or on uh, the podcast platform of your choice. Um, that's how we get in front of more folks. Is there anything that I'm missing or that we should we should still say here, fellas, before we close this out? I don't think so. But John, you get got anything? Not me. All righty. Well then, uh, with that, I think we're going to close this out. Thank you, John. Thank you, Troy. Thank you to Bear Droid and Ulysses and Girk um, for hanging out with us in chat. Uh, is there anybody uh, who's who's oh, our man. silent lurkers tonight? We got it's the Fritz Caxpus. I never can do that one. Mid soon, <laughs> and it's the ma. Why, why, why so many vowels? <laughs> Edelin, um, I, what's that? BLG, damn judge. Bing, Bing Cortana. Uh, Ava Semaphore and Academy Impossible. Man, there are some wicked names. Uh, I think we need to like a little, can we pin something in here? If you show up and you have an, a name with more than, you know, seven no. vowels together, Please give us a, a phonetic pronunciation. No, no, no. This is my favorite part of the show is listening oh. to Troy stumble stumble over people's names. So we're not changing it for any amount of money or, or promise. Well, can, can we at least get like once I stumble? Can you then give it so that way we're not like butchering <laughs> your name forever, forevermore? Ah, uh, we'll see. All right. Well, thanks a lot, folks. Uh, let's continue the chat in Discord. We'll see you later. Have a good night, everybody. Have good games. Yep, stay safe. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode and you want to continue the conversation with us, go ahead and head on over to our Discord. There's a link in the show notes, and you can always shoot us a message on Facebook to get a link there as well. Uh, while you're at it, if you wouldn't mind, give us a like on Facebook. Give us a subscription over here on your podcast feed. Uh, give us a review and some stars while you're at it. That would be awesome. That's the way we get in front of more people. And if you want to watch a live show, we're live almost every Sunday and Tuesday on Twitch and YouTube. And you can find links to all of that right there in the Discord. We'll see you next time.